Morning, church. It's um, a joy to sing together with you like that, especially songs like that. And it's a joy to open the word with you right now. So let's do that. Open with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 5 to 8 today. Um, But I want to read from verse 1. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation." Let's pray. Lord God, we look forward to a day where we will feast in your house. Where we will sing to you with our hearts restored, untainted by sin. We will say on that day, you have done great things. We will have our tears wiped away. Until that day, Lord, we gather to sing still. We love you today. We find your word precious, of great value. That you would speak to us as a gift, a grace beyond measure. And so we ask for you to do that again today. Through your word and your spirit, we pray. Amen. Martin Luther once said, I have only two days on my calendar. This day and that day. Uh, He was talking about the day of the Lord, the return of our, our Lord that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. And Luther didn't mean that he literally had a specific day on his calendar marked out. So we saw last week, Jesus has told us, no one knows the day or the hour. The Apostle Paul says in this passage, that day will come like a thief in the night. What Luther meant is that the day, the return of the Lord is always on his heart and his mind. That he's living, he was living for that day, longing for that day when faith would become sight and he would see his Lord face to face. Oh, it will be a day of joy. It will be a day of salvation for God's people. But as we saw last week, it will also be a day of judgment. 
a day of darkness for others. Paul warns in verse 3 that it will come suddenly. It will come like a thief in the night and it will bring with it destruction for the world. And so in this passage, there are two groups of people that Paul is thinking of and speaking to. Those who are ready for the day and those who are not ready. He says in verses 4 to 5, speaking to the church, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Remember Paul when he says those who are in darkness, he's referring to a realm in which they exist. Describes their state apart from Christ. They are of the darkness. It characterizes their nature. Listen to his words in Ephesians 2, 1-3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is strong language. It is certainly offensive to modern senses. But Paul says, this is who you are apart from Christ. And it doesn't matter how moral you are, or how religious you are, or how spiritual you may be. Included in this group, those in darkness, are many, many who when they die at their funerals, people will think back over their lives, and it will be said of them, he was a good man. She was a good woman. But all apart from Christ, Ephesians 4.18 says, are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. In darkness, the world is ignorant of this state of darkness, of the state of lostness, what they have lost in separation from God. Augustine writes in this way in his great work, Confessions. He's a 4th century church father and he writes the, the, the confessions to give great detail to his own experience of being in the dark before Christ. For years and years the lusts of his flesh drew him, drew his heart, kept him from coming to Christ, though he knew well the Bible and doctrine. He says he wanted in his youth nothing more than to love and be loved. But then he writes, but desires muddied by the flesh with the bubblings of youth, mists fumed up which beclouded and overcast my heart, that I could not discern the clear brightness of love from the fog of lust. And so he writes later in reflection, within me was a famine of that inward food Thyself, my God. Yet through that famine I did not hunger, but was without all longing for incorruptible sustenance. Not because I was full, but the more empty I was, the more I loathed that sustenance. See, in this heart of darkness, the world will not seek God, will not love Him, and will not be ready for that day. 
So Paul in verses 5 to 8 describes for us, shows us what it means to be ready for the day of the Lord. And what Paul is saying is it's not just what you do. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. Being ready involves existing in a whole new realm. You've been taken from darkness into light. As we study what he teaches here, we are to use it as a gauge for our own hearts as we seek to walk in the light. Three headings today. To be ready you means you have, number one, a new identity. Number two, you have new desires. And number three, we'll see in verse eight, a new outfit as well. Number one, a new identity. You belong to the day. Something that Sheree and I have always tried to get right in our parenting, um, emphasis on the, the tried, because we broke the rule this very morning when Alyssa got her new white stockings all ma- muddied and, and dirty. But we try not to say to our kids, you are naughty. We try to say rather something like this, we love you. And we know that you love us. We know you want to obey us. But what you did was naughty. See, we're trying to teach them that what you do flows from who you are. That's at the heart of the gospel. The former, just to, to say you are naughty. Just to follow a list of rules. If that's all that Christianity is, that's moralism. Moralism presents the Christian life as just a list of rules to follow. And the message would be to you and to me, just shape up. Try harder, be better, toe the line. It's all about mechanical change without the gospel foundation, the gospel reality as its hope. Alistair Begg says this around the world all the time from pulpits. Throughout the church, Christian people are being called to live the Christian life without any life. It is the worst possible Existence. So we need to understand the gospel. The gospel says, this is who you are, so become what you are. Live as what you are. When Paul describes what it means to be ready, to be awake and sober for that day, he doesn't just give a list for us to follow that, you know, if you do this, this is what fits the bill. He lays here the foundation of who we are. In saving us, God has changed the entire realm in which we live. Colossians 1 verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And so in our passage here in verse 5, Paul gives these two positive statements about our new identity to contrast the way that we were or who we were. He says, for you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. These two phrases, children of the light, children of the day. And they might seem like Paul is saying exactly the same thing. I do believe they overlap, but I believe there's also a nuance here. Paul is not just using repetition. There's a word play in this. And so I think it's important that we unpack it as we come to this passage. So firstly, Paul calls us children of the light, literally sons of light. In the Hebrew thinking to be a son of something is to be characterized by that thing. It is who you are. It's your nature. You know the phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? 
The genetic characteristics of the father. The characteristics of the father are likely to be the characteristics of the son. So Paul is using this metaphor of genetics to describe the Christian's relationship to light. What he's saying here is more than just you are in the light, which is true as well. What he's saying is pointing to a fundamental transformation that has taken place in who you are. We talk about it when we talk about new birth or regeneration. See, becoming a Christian is not just about giving psychological consent to the truths of Scripture. It means that you have been changed by God Himself. A miracle has taken place in, in you. Ephesians 5 verse 8, Paul says, For at one time you were darkness. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, Paul says, walk as children of light. You are light, so walk as a child of the light. Children of light are those who manifest light. They are filled with light. They're characterized by light. And we are light because our Father is light. 1 John 1 verse 5. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, you are the result of a creative miracle of God. In Genesis chapter 1, God speaks the first day. And what happens? Through His Word, light comes to be. And on that last day, God will do something wonderful when He speaks again. We look forward to it. He will make all things new. There will be new heavens and a new earth. The old will be torn away for a new creation. So the, the day, the future day is a day of judgment, but it's also a day of recreation. The darkness will be removed from His creation and all will be light in Him. Listen to this description. John writes in Revelation 22, 3-5, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Isn't that a glorious future that we look for? But what does Scripture say about us right now? 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. This is why we say when we talk about conversion that it is an absolute miracle of God's doing. He must do it. No one else can. He must take us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Make us a people who are not a people, Peter writes. That is salvation. He grabs hold of you and He draws you to Himself. His sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice applies to you in grace and forgiveness so that once and for all, you are forever changed. You are a child of God, a child of light. What happens is nothing less than a miracle that points forward to that day. It's why G.K. Beale calls us God's end time people. We are made for that day. We await a new creation. And yes, we await still in this world of sin where we suffer 
and we struggle and we still face temptation. But we do not belong to this world. We don't belong to it. We've already been recreated for a new world. When we talk about eschatology, often we use the term already, not yet. Have you heard that before? Already, not yet. So some things are already and some things are still to come. We live in the not yet and the fact that we face temptation and struggle. Sin just doesn't, doesn't just disappear. The sin nature doesn't just disappear. There, there's a not yet that we struggle with, but there's also an already part that must inform the way that we think about our lives and about sin. If you are a child of God, Christian, you are not your sin. You are not your sin. You're a child of the day. You belong to the new creation. Paul reiterates this in verse 8. He says, we belong to the day. We await the day when he will come and usher in a new age. And Leon Morris writes in his commentary, sons of the day, therefore, is similar to sons of light. For the day is the region of light, but it is not a simple repetition. It looks back to verse 2, the day of the Lord. They will participate, he says, in the triumph of that great day. They belong to that great day. They will have the fulfillment of their being when that great day comes. Is that true of you? And what does it mean for you today, child of God? It means that you have been made alive together with Christ that you've been reconciled to God. You've been given understanding and granted repentance. It means that you are expecting and longing for the return of Christ. It means that today you desire to know Christ and to be close to God. You desire to be obedient to His commands. It means that the power of sin has been broken in your life. That you are not a slave to sin. Some of you need to hear it. You need to believe it. Maybe you are here and you are discouraged and lacking in hope that the gospel must give. Maybe you've engaged in the same sin over and over and over again. Lust. Bitterness. Outbursts of anger. Complaining. Gossip. You know that you love Christ, but day by day you, you feel the weight of this. The weight of temptation. The weight of living in this world of sin. You look around at your life and you say, is this, is this really light in the Lord? Maybe it's gone on for so long that you've begun to feel and believe, I will not conquer this thing. There's no hope for me. In my fight against temptation, you need to believe what the gospel says about you and about your God. The work that God began cannot be undone. Philippians 1 verse 6, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? This is as sure as Christ's sacrifice is sufficient for you. Hebrews 10.14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
So yes, you feel the not yet of your continuing fight and your sanctification may be slow, but you are not your sin. You are not the darkness. You are a child of light. And in moments of despair, what you do is you cry out, say, God, help me to believe the gospel again. Help me to delight in the already. You belong to that day. You're not going to capitulate. You are not going to give up. You are going to get back up and carry on becoming who you are because that's the work that God is doing in you. You have a new identity in Jesus. Number two, this new identity comes with new desires. You long for that day. Look with me at verses six and seven. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. So two of the lockdown's characteristic elements are, we know the, the nighttime curfew and the ban of, uh, on the sale of alcohol, right? And we, I think the thinking behind the nighttime curfew is that most of the things that are going to cause problems for hospitals will happen at night. And the ban on the sale of alcohol is that most of those occurrences will be alcohol-related. As that saying goes, nothing good happens in the middle of the night. Right, teenagers? It's a good rule of thumb. Nothing good happens outside of your house in the middle of the night. And Paul uses these two metaphors, being asleep and being drunk, to describe the living state of the world, of those in darkness. Though living, you are actually asleep. And though you think you have direction, you're actually drunk. And taken together, these metaphors paint a powerful picture. Remember, this is in the context of a thief coming in in the middle of the night. If a thief breaks into your house and you are asleep when they do, you could be in trouble. But if a thief breaks in and you're not only asleep, but you're drunk and asleep, the thief doesn't even have to be careful as he ransacks what you have. Paul is using these analogies to describe spiritual dormancy, deadness of the world. And the world is in the state, intoxicated by the things of the world. There are many things that intoxicate the soul and keep those who are lost in the love of their darkness. Power, ambition, success, the pleasures of this world that sometimes amount to us having taken something that God has given that was meant to be a gift that we receive with joy to His glory and we take it and we elevate it to a place higher than He is in our hearts or we pervert it twist it to our own purposes as if we own it. The desire to hold on to the darkness because we love the darkness is a powerful deterrent to coming into the light. That's what Augustine found as children, the children of the light. They are those who are not asleep, Paul says, not drunk. They're awake and they are sober for the coming of Christ. In other words, they are not inebriated or consumed by the pleasures of the world. They're not drowsy to ultimate reality. Eternity overshadows the, presence, the present. 
The beauty of Christ overshadows and makes the treasures of this world dim in comparison. The righteousness and the holiness and the character of Christ gives fuel to the fight against temptation and the lusts of the flesh. And now again, maybe you're a Christian and you want to follow and you want to obey, but you feel the struggle of these worldly intoxications. You feel them keenly every day. You seem at times controlled by them. Controlled in the workplace or at your school by the fear of man. A deep Deep-seated desire for the approval of your peers, and it leads sometimes to compromise, to speech that you know is not right, lack of courage, and maybe you've done things that you wish you hadn't done. Maybe you're not winning the war on or against lust at the moment, or your use of worldly entertainments is out of control. You consume, and you consume because you want to escape reality. The intoxications of the world are beating you down again and again. Remember who you are. Remember who you are as a child of light because who you are has brought with it a change in what ultimately will satisfy your soul. Be careful about how you speak about yourself. So many say about their sin, it's just, it's just who I am can't overcome it. I can't control it. I just have a sin-loving heart. No, child of God, you battle the vestiges of your sin nature, but you are a new creation in Christ. Ezekiel says that God has taken your heart of stone and he's replaced it with a heart of flesh, and that heart of flesh is sensitive to God. More than that, he's put his spirit within you. You don't have a sin-loving heart, you have a God-loving heart. Repentance is a part of your new nature. You may desire sin at times, and you may fall to temptation at times, but there is a greater desire going on in your life, in your heart. It's a desire for Him. You want Him. When you are tempted again, this is the way you fight. You fight with the truth of your greatest desire. Say on the precipice, if I give in to this again, it will not be able to satisfy my soul. I know that to be true. It may be pleasing for a moment, but it will only leave me repulsed. It will leave me disappointed. The day where I can take pleasure in the things of darkness and be content in my sin has passed because I'm a child of light. I belong to that day, day of the Lord. There's a Puritan quote that says, If you have been born again, you have become a creature so high, with affections so high, that if you were to gain the whole world, it would not satisfy you. And if you were to lose the whole world, it would not bring you down or ruin you. Because Christ is greater. Is Christ greater to your soul than the wine of this world? Is He your reward? Is He your goal? Is His love and His approval deeper security than the refuges of this world? Do you know that you could never be satisfied, never content in your sin? 
That at sin's side there is fleeting pleasure and bitter pain, but at God's right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Do you know that in your heart? Being a child of the light doesn't mean that you never sin, but it does mean that you have a new desire. You want to please Him. You long and you desire, you delight to delight Him with your love. And you are saddened. When your heart is cold, you are saddened when you don't please Him. Unbelievers do not have that same concern. They may desire some of the things that they believe God can give, but they don't desire Him. They don't desire to honor Him to the point of surrender and self-sacrifice and self-denial. If you are in the light, you do. And if you are feeling somewhat despondent today in your pursuit of holiness you start here you confess you come back to the father who welcomes you with open arms you confess your need and ask God to work that desire again in your heart God help me to love you more help me to want to love you more and before we move on to the final point I want to give you a warning that I believe is hinted at in this passage. And that is that nobody is immune. No one is immune to the danger of spiritual apathy while living in this world. No one's immune to the desensitizing power of the darkness. Look at how Paul speaks. Look at his language in verses 5 and 6. He's speaking to them in the second person. He says, you are not of the darkness. But then in verse 6, that point of view changes. He says, let us not sleep as others do. Let us, not keep, uh, let us keep awake and be sober. It's as if Paul knows even the apostle is not immune. You may have been serving the Lord for most of your life, for many, many, many years. Still you are admon admonished, be awake. Don't let your guard down. Don't stop checking your heart, checking your affections. Don't stop running towards Him running after him parents are you awake when you consider your children and you dream for their futures what is it that consumes your thoughts is it your greatest hope that they would become children of the day that they would not be drunk with the things the pleasures and the treasures of this world or do earthly dreams overshadow the heavenly and you know how you can tell? Open your schedule. Take a look at your planner. Analyze just this last week. If sports and schools and hobbies are always choking out the things of the kingdom of God, then you'll see, you'll have your answer. Analyze the way that you speak to your children, the conversations that you've had just this last week, and you'll have your answer. In Confessions, Augustine speaks about his father who was a, a poor man, but did all that he could to give Augustine a, a bright start to his career, a career in, in oratory. Speaks of his sacrifice for the dream that he had for his son. But listen to how Augustine evaluates this in this book. He says, Who did not extol my father? 
For that beyond the ability of his means, he would furnish his son with everything for a far journey for his study's sake. For many far abler men did no such thing for their children. But yet the same father had no concern how I grew up before thee, speaking to God, or how chaste I was, or that so that I was but fluent in speech, however barren I were. To thy culture, O God, who art the only true and good Lord of thy field, my heart. Parents, what are you cultivating in the hearts of your children? In the way that you prioritize things in life, are you cultivating spiritual sleep or alertness for that day? We are children of the light with new identities and new desires. Finally, number three, New outfits as well. You are dressed for that day. Verse 8, Paul says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. 1 Thessalonians, either Galatians or 1 Thessalonians is the first letter that Paul has written sometime in the 40s of that first century, and here he, he, we see him bring to life an analogy that he will develop later on. By the time we, you read Ephesians chapter 6, that's where we know it, the, the armor of God. But Paul starts it here. He's talking about two pieces of armor, and he's relating to the Christian's readiness for that day to warfare against spiritual darkness, and we fight with the truth of our identity in Christ And so as I close, I just want to ask this question, how? How are we to remain sober in this present world? Paul says, by being dressed for action. The two pieces of armor he lists are the breastplate and the helmet. They guard the heart and the mind, don't they? And Paul comes back to that famous trio of his faith, Hope and love, we see it in his writings time and time again. In chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, he spoke about his confidence over them, confidence in their election because of the evidence of faith, hope, and love in their lives. So the way to stay alert and to be on guard is to be dressed with the breastplate of faith and love to guard the heart and to have guarding your mind the helmet that is the hope of salvation, Paul says. So how? How does faith guard our hearts and make us sober for that day? Well, faith assures us of the truth that Jesus is worth more than any earthly pleasure. That Christ alone can satisfy where the world cannot. Faith reminds us that Christ is good and His promises never fail. That He will be to us forever the sweetest of living water and the richest bread of life. Faith assures us, it fortifies us in the assurance that we will stand on that day dressed how? Not in our own righteousness or works, but in the works of Christ. We are not children of the light because of how well we walk in the light. We walk in the light because we are children of the light. And how does love guard our hearts and make us sober for that day? The love of Christ for us produces love for Christ in us. And that love wages war upon the dulling effects of the world and the darkness. 
The Father's love is what our souls crave and need and receive through Christ. His invitation to come to approach as beloved children is better than all the empty invitations of sin. And it is a love. It is love that wakes us up for that day to the the fate and the danger of those around us. It is love that causes us to go out into the world and to be different in the world so that when the world sees we are different, maybe the beauty of Christ would become apparent to them as well. How does hope guard our minds and make us sober for that day? It wages war against the despair that would keep us coming back to the intoxications, the comforts of this world. We don't need to have our lives numbed. We have hope in every suffering and in every trial. Every day that we cling to Christ is one day closer to seeing Him face to face, one day closer to glory where we will hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Our hope says that every battle we win in this life will only result in heaven being all the more sweeter for it and every battle that we lose will still result in the glory of God and in our joy as we sing the praise of His grace that He has saved us. Hope tells us that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, Romans 8.37. After years of futile war against sin and darkness, Augustine's conversion seems to have been a long and slow process. Finally, the despair would give way to hope in his life. He was urged one day, well, in the grips of fear and of hopelessness, to take up the book and to read. And he read a passage that is very similar to the passage we have in 1 Thessalonians 5. Listen to this similarity, Romans 13, 12 to 14. These are the words that Augustine read that led to his salvation. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Augustine did. And finally, he was free, a new creation, desires reordered, a new heart. A new outfit. And what I love when I encourage you to read through confession, his confessions, his work. What I love reading through it most is the way that he speaks to God in these prayers. My sweetness, my delight, my joy, he calls God. Because in God, he found a sweetness that the world simply could not match. Are you a child of that day? Do you long for his return? Are you alert with your heart set on him? Let's pray.